Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Collegiately speaking. Walks into the end zone. Touches to the end zone. This is Collegiately Speaking. With the voice of Northwestern football and basketball, Dave Ennett, and former Northwestern star quarterback, Dan Persis, is Collegially Speaking. Let's go. And welcome to another edition of Collegiately Speaking. Dave Ennett here, Dan Perso, former Wildcat quarterback, joining us. We join you each week with a look at college football, focusing on the Northwestern Wildcats and the Big Ten. And uh, that's had not been an easy topic this week because the Wildcats find themselves one and two. Uh, this was a, a promising stretch for them, coming off the win in Dublin, Ireland over Nebraska coming home to play three non-conference games at home and uh, so far they're 0-2 at Ryan Field and I, I guess it goes without saying Dan you, you gotta win home games non-conference games but especially if you're a power five team playing an FCS school as they were this past weekend uh, against Southern Illinois but to fall to 1-2 and two with that loss to the Salukis who, who I thought played really well and won it 31 to 24 but that's that's a tough one that's that's one you got to shake off quickly because that can kind of linger can't it yeah absolutely and i think it's it's i've fortunately never been through losing to an fcs team but i'm sure a lot of the guys are just embarrassed right for for a a variety of reasons and you know we talked about in the prior show of of the the former fcs teams um you know beating a lot of big time programs and the and the parody in college football and and then we got you know smacked with a with an example of it i to your point, I, I thought you know uh, the Salukis played really well and, and frankly outcoached and outplayed us um, and deserved to win. It wasn't really a, a fluke, um, which is a little bit scary uh, for Northwestern fans. Um, and they just seemed like they wanted the game more. They played harder. Um, I, I get as a player kind of playing down to a, a lesser opponent in the FCS, but you, know, you got to come ready to play. I, I think you know there were some injuries on the de- defensive side of the ball, but Holinsky didn't have a great game, and he's re- basically regressed um, since the Nebraska game. And then you know you had, you had Evan Hole turning the ball over again. So I, I think it was it was just a hard game to watch. Um, it was kind of Northwestern fans dying a slow death, and they really need to to get it going right yeah. because these last two opponents, you know, while decent, um, are it's only to get uphill from here. Miami of Ohio is a good team, and then you get into Big Ten play, so. They got to get the ship turned around, and and hopefully Fitz can do that. But um, it hasn't been great signs the last two weeks. Yeah, this this turnover thing is troubling because that was a big problem for them last year. Almost two dozen turnovers on the season, and now here they've had what seven in two games, and uh, this past week four with two Halinski interceptions and and two fumbles, and one of them uh, by Halinski and the other one uh, Evan Hall for the second week in a row, and he has a bit of guys turn the ball over very much, so that's something they got to get stopped right away, because you, you certainly don't want to see that become the kind of thing that that continues and maybe becomes a little bit of a habit. 
Right, and you're just not going to win games turning the football over. Whether it's, I mean, you could you can get away with one turnover, or two turnovers here or there, but uh, to consistently turn the ball over more than two times, it's just you're just not going to win games in the Big Ten. Um, turnover ratio is one of the most important things in college football in general, uh, and you know if they, they continue to do that, they're just going to be playing uphill the rest of the season, and and the team's really just not built for that. Uh, no, really, no college football team is so protecting the balls. I'm sure. Fits his number one goal, and they, they got to get that shirt up quickly. And and obviously some issues defensively as well. Uh, they gave up to a, a team which had been struggling uh, about 350 yards of offense. Maybe that uh, that number in and of itself doesn't sound that bad, but it, it's kind of like when they gave up plays, uh, and again some some big plays at the most inopportune times. And it just seems like that's kind of the way it's been going for this team. They had a bunch of guys out on defense, especially in the secondary. Three of their four starters were out of that game. They played a bunch of young guys who really hadn't seen the field very much in significant playing time and uh, saw it last week. So I guess from that standpoint, it's good for them to go through that. It's kind of a recurring theme from last year, right, when a lot of guys played for the first time and were kind of trying to figure things out. Uh, it's it's good if if the starters come back, if the veterans are back in there, and those guys uh, aren't asked to do too much. But uh, seemed like last week it was uh, way too much of a learning experience going on for a lot of guys, and hopefully, uh, and and I I credit Fitz not not wanting to pin it all on those guys because that's really not fair. But at the same time, it definitely hurt them. And uh, uh, you could see the results, and you could see that uh, Southern Illinois had more success offensively than I think people expected them to have. Yeah, and I think the the troubling sign, and obviously playing young guys, you're going to have mistakes. Um, but I, I still think it's kind of the, the linebacker position. They just look slow. They just look a step slow. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a read and react thing. I don't know if it's a pure speed and conditioning thing. But it just doesn't look like they're they're seeing the gaps and and reacting to the ball and running down tackler or running down uh, ball carriers like we saw a couple of years ago um, with the likes of Patty Fisher and 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 Gallagher and those guys uh, and the defense just seems a little bit uninspired at times um, which again is another troubling thing you know we talked with a couple of people last week about you know the defense really just kind of reacting to the offense and getting their their fire from the offense which. You know, you want them, I understand that point, but you want them to kind of play in their own world and play in a silo and be self-starters, right? And and be engaged from the beginning of the game because, you know, the past, the, all three games, the defense has started really slow and, and you know, then the offense is there digging out, in a, digging out of a hole. So I, I just think they, they need to be more prepared coming into the game, start faster, especially on the defensive side of the ball and, and wake up a little bit. Um, and if that, this is, this past game wasn't a wake-up call. I don't, I don't know what, what what will be. Well, let's bring in a guy who's uh, watched uh, the Wildcats quite a bit, both uh, on the practice field and also in games, and that's Louis Vacare, who's the publisher of the Wildcat Report, the uh, Northwestern site at uh, Rivals.com. And I, I, don't, I guess we've kind of hit on some of the key, uh, the key notes here, Louis, as far as this team. You were out there. I saw you at Ryan Field on Saturday, as per usual. And what's your take on on what we saw not only in that game but the last two games 
Yeah, it was a dark day in Evanston, wasn't it? Um, it was a, it was a tough one to swallow. I think, especially you know, for the fans. Certainly on my message board, there was a lot of uh, outrage. Um, but yeah, I, I think you guys hit on a lot of the same things, right? The defense has given up big plays consistently, and they're turning the ball over, right? So the last two weeks, uh, they've turned the ball over seven times. The turnover ratio is seven to two, and it's just awfully hard to win win that way, especially you know even against FCS opponents. They're going to make you pay, and that's exactly what happened on Saturday. They turned it over four times. They gave up a couple big plays, and you know there they were. They got saddled with a loss, and you know this has happened quite a bit to Fitz, right? This is his third loss to an FCS team, and you know my guess, I don't think there's a whole lot of coaches that have three of those. You know, they don't last long enough typically. So um, this this has happened from time to time. We'll see if he can. You know, he's turned teams around after a few weeks before. We'll see if he. Yeah, well, as you pointed out, I think on uh, his uh, Zoom call with the media on Monday, I think uh, the uh, 2016 team, the 2018 team, which ended up one and three and won the Big Ten West by three games. So, yeah, they've been down this road before and been able to uh, kind of find a path back out of it. Uh, but I thought it was interesting, Louis. I think you you said, "How do you rate the ship?" And his response was, "What the." The ship isn't not right. Yeah, he said the ship is fine. We just had, you know, we didn't win a couple games, which that was kind of a shocking statement. But, um, you know, that's what I wrote about this week is that Fitz is going to fit, right? He's going to he's gonna be the same guy, win or lose, and he's been in those shoes before. And, you know, what did he talk about? And when I asked him that question, he talked about they got to be more consistent, they got to be disciplined in their preparation, and they got to take care of the football. It's the old platitudes. Now, like, like you mentioned, in two. 2016, they started 0-2. They lost to a MAC team and uh, an FCS team. That was their last loss to an FCS opponent. It was 2006 against Illinois State, and they were 0-2. And they, you know, they won. They went five and four in the Big Ten. Wound up winning a Penn State Bowl. 2018, they were one and three. Had that ugly loss to Akron, which was a four and eight MAC team at home. They turned that around. They won seven straight Big Ten games. Got to the big. You know, they won the West to the Big Ten title game, won the Holiday Bowl. So he has done this before. Now there's been a couple times where they haven't, right? You look at 2019, 2021, they had slow starts, and they never they never turned the corner. They never improved, and they finished 3-9. and nine. So the jury's still out. We'll see if they can, uh, I guess, right the ship is not the phrase he wants to use, but we'll see if he can turn things around in a couple weeks and, and kind of salvage the season here. Yeah, thanks again, Louis, for for joining us. I agree. I think um, you know Fitz has done it in the past, but to your point, it's gone both ways in the past, and and I'm not really sure. It, it's still yet to be seen if they have the players like they did in, in 2016 and 2018, and the leader, frankly, the leaders that they had in those teams with guys like Clayton Thorson there. I'm yep. just not sure if those guys are there right now. So hopefully, they're developing that. One question I have for you is, is you're probably more in tune with, with how this affects recruiting and, and, and kind of fits his ability to recruit and, and how it affects like the current recruits that are committed. What's your sense on losses like this and how they, they you know, help or hurt the pipeline of, of former or Northwestern players of the future? Yeah, well, they certainly don't help. Right? That's never going to be the case. And, you know, especially a loss like that one, Southern Illinois, and, 
here they are. They're one and two. They, they're coming off of a three and nine season last year. What direction are they going? Um, but so far, you know, I, I've I keep in touch with uh, several of the crews, and everybody's still on board, and they they still believe. And and remember, these this this class. I mean, right now, Fitz has five four stars uh, in the class right now, the most he's ever had, um, and they are, uh, you know. They they committed to him coming off of a three and nine season, so you know that that wasn't the biggest. You know they're looking to the future and and they believe in fits and you know they go to school because they pick Northwestern because of the academics and things like that. So I don't think you know wins and losses aren't going to be a deciding factor for them, but it's something they're still going to weigh. And and as the you know if this season takes a turn or doesn't take a turn and ends up like you know where they're three and nine again or something like that, I think you will see some defections. I mean that's kind of unavoidable that they'll look at the direction of the program and look at some of the other programs that may have uh, offered them and. You know, one or two of them could jump ship. But uh, I think, you know, fits, you know, what they sell isn't necessarily wins and losses. And I think that they're 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 on board for now anyway. Louis, I appreciate the time. It's always good to check in with you. You've got a good perspective on it. I think you you, you and I have been around uh, those uh, Monday sessions with Fitz probably as long as anybody who's in that room right now. So, uh, yep. yeah, you know, we've, we've kind of been down this road before and it's a tough stretch coming up. This is a really this is a big game against a MAC opponent on Saturday, Miami of Ohio, which has great history, great tradition, and and has a little bit of history uh, with of success against the Wildcats. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're they're six and three all time. I remember that two thousand three game where they came in and pasted Northwestern. I think it was forty four to fourteen. They had Ben Roethlisberger yeah. on that team. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, they're they're struggling a little bit. They, they're they got a backup quarterback. Their their offense is struggling, but um, you know, it's the way things are going. I I think it's going to be a dogfight. You know, I think it's going to be a tight game, and Northwestern is going to have to execute, take care of the football, and do all those kinds of things to win. Appreciate the time. We'll see you out there Saturday. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You bet. That's Louis Vacare, publisher of Wildcat Report. And, uh, boy, you look at the schedule. You've got the uh, Miami Red Hawks Saturday night, 630 at Ryan Field. Uh, and then you plunge right back into Big Ten play. And, and you talk about a gauntlet, Dan. And, and I know... We don't get too far ahead, and and who knows what's going to happen week to week. But uh, a week from Saturday at Penn State, then you come home and play Wisconsin. Then you go to Maryland and Iowa back-to-back following a bye week uh, on the 15th. And Maryland looks really good and and improved. And uh, Iowa, we're going to talk more about them in just a moment. And then you come home and play Ohio State. So uh, this... This is really not going to be an easy month plus uh, for the Wildcats. And and definitely this game against Miami, uh, even though it's a game playing at home against a MAC team, you you certainly hope you'll be able to win it. Uh, I I just can't see right now how you look at it and say it's going to be anything but, as Louis said, a dogfight. 
No, I agree. I, I think uh, Miami of Ohio is probably licking their chops after that that last loss. And then to your earlier point, um, you know, the the Big Ten schedule is probably as, as hard as it's been in, in a long time. Um, I don't know if those ESPN percentage chance of winning uh, stats matter, but I, I don't think Northwestern is over 50% until they get to Illinois, you know, the last game of the season. So, they're, they're most likely going to be underdogs for pretty much every one of those games. Damn. So, like you said, it's it's a true gauntlet after Miami, Ohio. Um, so they really just need to kind of sure things up, get a good win against Miami, and and move forward. Yeah, take it from there. Try to get to two and two, and, and see what happens after that. And they are. And the one thing, it, and this this is a true statement: they're one and zero in the Big Ten West, and so you know they've got that going for them. And and you can't really. Uh, overstate the importance of getting a, an early division win because that is something that could help set them up for future success. But uh, first things first, Miami this week. Saturday, probably like a lot of people, I, I got home late Saturday evening and I, I turned on Big Ten Network uh, to watch the uh, the final drive, their, their late night wrap-up show, and I see a crawl on the bottom of the screen saying that the Iowa-Nevada game is in a delay. That's almost, I don't know, 11.45 p.m. at this point. And I knew the game was supposed to start at 6.30. I also know there were some some weather, there were some storms around Saturday night in this area. So uh, I'm, I'm watching, and then sure enough, the players come out. They're getting set to kick it off again around midnight, and then they go back in. And the first person I thought of was my friend Gary Dolphin, the play-by-play voice of the Iowa Hawkeyes. And I'm thinking he's sitting there at Kinnick Stadium. He's probably got a tea time for early Sunday morning. And uh, <laughs> I don't... Actually, I just fell out of bed about 10 minutes ago from Saturday night, guys. So I think I'm caught up on my sleep. Uh, Rip Van Dolphin, huh? <laughs> Getting up after that. Gary, thanks for joining us. I, so what time... Now, we get to the stadium a couple hours before kickoff, as a rule, those of us who do this. And mm-hmm. so that's, what, 4, 4.30 in the afternoon, you're at Kinnick Stadium? Yeah, I do a, a pregame, a little pre-pregame with one of our larger affiliates at, in this case, it would have been 3.30 on Saturday. So I got there about 2.30 and walked out of there about 3.30, oh, 3 o'clock. Uh, as you know, Dave, we have a, a longer than uh, the history of radio postgame show to match the pregame show. And uh, and we did shorten it. Uh, it was really frustrating, especially after the second delay. I got one play in and uh, assured us that, no, there's no, as you know, the, the rule is if it's within eight miles of a stadium, uh, you, they start a 30-minute clock, and, and you have to wait 30 minutes, and if there's no lightning detected within that eight-mile radius, you can go. So they came out, and you assume that uh, the weather service, which was on top of it, said uh, would, would say, okay, we're, we're good to go, let's go. Got one play in, ran off eight seconds. Mm. And uh, the referee blew his whistle. He said there's been lightning detected within the eight-mile radius. Back to the locker room they go. So we had three delays collectively totaling just under four hours. Um, and, uh, you know, this happened to uh, the Hawks uh, uh, about 15 years ago out in out in Tempe, of all places, where they had a, a desert thunderstorm, one of, one of the rarities, lightning, flash flooding. Uh, as you know, there's nowhere for the water to go out there. Drew Tate, I remember, was the quarterback 
and uh, he uh, he broke his thumb in that game. Iowa went to Michigan the following week, lost a tough Big Ten Open there, then didn't lose another game the rest of the year, and uh, ended up in the uh, Orange Bowl, uh, or, or excuse me, the Capital One Bowl. So I'm hoping something like that happens again. Right. But there's a lot of work to be done between now and then. Yeah, no doubt. But this was uh, a much better offensive performance for the Hawkeyes. Talk, talk about that in a minute. But so it's not just the the broadcasters obviously who are affected in this kind of a situation what do they have to do in terms of allowing the players sufficient time after these long delays to to go back out and and warm up again and what about the the fans because i know they have to clear the stadium and it looked like at the end of the game uh were there any fans in there or were those just staff who were still in the stadium there, well, working in reverse order, there there, there were about five or six hundred fans uh, that that came back. But uh, keep in mind, you know, last call in downtown Iowa City was around one thirty, and so they all they, the students all came back up the hill, which is about six blocks, and uh, and you know they no doubt had been watching it on the Big Ten Network. So well, let's go up and uh, be a part of history, whatever that means. And I looked out there one time; uh, they had on TV the most of the uh, men's basketball team was sitting in their chair. Cheering, uh, cheering on <laughs> Connor and Patrick McCaffrey, and oh, nice. uh, I, at least Mom and Dad knew where they were. But it, it uh, there was probably uh, three, four hundred, five hundred people, uh, you know, uh, soaked to the bone that uh, that that weathered uh, the end of the game. Uh, you know, the game was not in doubt. Uh, what they do once they decide to go, they put twelve minutes on the clock, and teams come out and and they run through their cows. Dan knows what this is all about, and you know, loosen up. Uh, the you know the irony there is Iowa got four players back on offense Saturday night that they hadn't had, including their number one running back, their number one wide receiver, uh, and two other receivers, and and so those guys they parked for the for the evening because you no know, doubt they were this is their first game their first missed most of the fall practice sessions so they really had to be uh, tight tightened up but at twenty seven to nothing and that Iowa defense they weren't going to give that game away so it it, it was just just a twelve light zone of an evening we knew the rain was coming we, we had no idea that the lightning was going to be as wicked and i and i'm here to tell you it, it was it was bad and there was some some real uh, spider uh, daddy long legs type claws crawling across the uh, nighttime sky on a, on a number of occasions so they they certainly did the right thing by uh, uh by stopping the game three times yeah, I can't imagine that as a player. That it seems that when I was watching the replay, it looked like you were watching a, a COVID game with nobody in the stands. Um, <laughs> focusing back on on the quarterback play, obviously, um, I, I watched the first two games pretty closely. I was in bed for this, this the end of the last game, um, but Spencer Petras, I was didn't play well in the first couple of games. Seemed to play a little bit better from from what I saw um, last week. Where, where's everyone's heads at on, on the quarterback situation and, and the offense, offense in general? Well, I think, Dan, everybody took a, a big sigh of relief last week. Uh, my, my view uh, on the quarterback, and you know this better than anybody, it's always the most focused on position by the critics uh, and those that have never played the position, but it is the most important spot on the football team. Iowa's offensive line is really young and, and had been beat up, uh, but they got a lot better here in the first couple weeks of the season. They had two guys uh, uh, that, that hardly practiced at all in the fall, two guys that they're really high on, uh, Mason Richmond 
the left tackle, which is a which is a big vacancy in college football, and then uh, left guard. Uh, they moved the right guard, Connor Colby, who's all Big Ten. They moved him to right tackle. They got a brand new center, uh, and he's not uh, Tyler Lindebaum, but they think Logan Jones is going to get there eventually. He jumped over from the defensive line in the off season. So there's a lot of moving parts in the offensive line, and the first two weeks, uh, uh, both uh, South Dakota State and obviously Iowa State stacked the box and dared Spencer Petras to beat him. And uh, he got sacked a few times, got knocked around because of the inability of the offensive line to, to collectively get the job done. Well, they played much better now that they had a couple games underneath their belt. They played a lot better last week. Uh, uh, Richmond has been back for two weeks now. Uh, the left guard, uh, uh, Justin Britt, the guy they were counting on to be there, is out for the year. Uh, he just can't stay healthy. So they, while they have a lot of uh, disruptions personnel-wise, they're, they're, they're looking much better. And, and they'll need to be going uh, into, into Big Ten competition this week at Rutgers, who's got a terrific defense. But I, I think Spencer's taken the brunt of the criticism unfairly. Uh, now, he's a fifth-year guy. He gets it. He's a great kid. He's, he's very articulate. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I remind people, uh, this guy uh, is, or Iowa's offense is run first, and then look for Sam Laporta and 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 the wide receivers. Now they've got a good young receiving core with Arlen Bruce and Keegan Johnson, and and uh, and uh, they finally got Nico Regani back last week. He had four catches, and Brody Breck. Uh, uh, heralded high school recruit out of uh, the Des Moines area, Ankeny, who can touch uh, 96 miles an hour with his fastball, uh, spent most of the fall uh, or spring and, and summer with the baseball team. So he's just now rounding into shape. He's six four, long arms. Uh, so I think they'll be okay going forward uh, as long as they don't get injured. I had the uh, the pleasure, Gary, of listening to your broadcast. I was I was working in my yard putting chicken wire down to keep the skunks out of my yard. <laughs> it's an exciting weekend during our bye week, wow. and I'm listening to you call a baseball game against South Dakota State. Uh, that was that was seven to three, Dave. Yeah, listening to you and Ed. Well, five and five three in the fourth quarter, and yeah. uh, and but but this defense, and you've seen some great defenses over the years at Iowa, but but this one. It seems like, I mean, everybody talks about the offense. Understandably, what they they've only given up what thirteen points in uh, in the first three games. Correct. Yeah, they I mean, pitched a shutout last week, and they're giving up 4.3 points a game. Wow. Uh, I mean, that is, uh, particularly with Iowa State's high-octane right. offense. And, you know, South Dakota State didn't win 11 games last year by accident. I mean, they've been no, in the playoffs good. 10 yeah. straight years, yeah. and, and, and they're strongest on the offensive side of the football. And uh, it, it, it was just it's just mind-boggling what this defense has done. And we knew it was going to be a good defense. Uh, but uh, Jack Campbell is just uh, off the charts. Uh, I was remarking uh, to somebody oh, two weeks ago, the last time I saw a guy that big at 6'5", 247 pounds that could, could rumble and roam sideline to sideline was Dick Butkus. And, and he's on the Butkus watch list. I'm not saying he's Dick Butkus by, by far. But uh, this kid is a, a films, uh, film room freak. And if you go back and look at the safety that where he uh, grabbed the uh, running back by the shoulder, pad and dragged him through the end zone that was all film study uh, jack said i he said i saw right away as soon as they broke huddle what what they were going to do i mean that's just a he's a brilliant kid academically uh was a great high school athlete in iowa 
might have been a better basketball player in high school. But he is some kind of a centerpiece for that defense. They've got a senior in Seth Benson off one shoulder pad uh, and uh, a real athletic kid in uh, Jay Higgins. And Justin Jacobs took over for Dane Belton at the cashback. So the, and he's a linebacker. He can really run at six four and two hundred and thirty pounds. So they've really got some athleticism in the middle. Uh, up front, they got a lot of guys that you probably aren't familiar with name wise, but they're all young and they're all aggressive. They got a kid from Barrington, Lucas Van Ness, who uh, I'm telling you, he's he's got uh, big time written all over him. He's just a sophomore. And they got a kid named Louis Steck from Lagrange Park. They got a kid uh, Logan Lee from Orion, Illinois. Noah Shannon's from Aurora. It's almost like an all Chicago suburb team up front. They got eight guys that they rotate through there, and they can really get they can get pressure on the quarterback. And, and if you get past that front line, then you've got Campbell. And then on the back end, an All American and Riley Moss, who uh, came back this year. Kayvon Merriweather is a senior safety. Uh, they've, they've really got some options. Uh, the 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 uh, the new piece to the puzzle there, guys, is a kid named Cooper DeGene. Uh, he, he's a small small town high school player from Iowa who was just a superstar athlete can can do everything, but you know four sport uh, star. Uh, and this kid is a, a safety, but they'll run him at the at the, uh, the cashback or, or at that nickel back. He's six one, about two ten, and he can run. And he had he's had back to back interceptions now in the last two games and this is kid, this is a kid who's just carving out his career i mean he's a true sophomore uh didn't play much last year other than on special teams but he is physical he can run uh, and and he really is uh, uh, he really is a star in the making so uh, the other the other thing dave you didn't mention was when you got i think the best punter in the big Ten. oh yeah who can who can flip not only flip the field position wise but bury an opposing offense back at the uh, Eight, seven, six. In many cases, it's been at the three or two. He's got uh, he's got twenty three punts in three games, and eleven of them have died inside the twenty. And I dare say half of those have been down inside the ten. So their 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 punt special teams or punt coverage teams have been just off the charts. And, and as you know, if you've got a good defense, that can make it a great defense, no doubt. All right, so you got Rutgers this week. Uh, Michigan at home, Illinois on the road, Ohio State on the road before uh, we'll see you guys out there Halloween weekend, uh, homecoming for the Hawkeyes. How about Rutgers, though? They're 3-0. and they are. They've they've won a, a one point game, a two point game, and then hung sixty six on a Wagner College. Yeah. And as Kirk Ferentz says, a win's a win. Doesn't matter. And uh, you, you know, Greg Shano is back for his second go round there. And uh, the strength of their team, ironically, is defense. So you got two top ten ranked defenses uh, uh, trying to get after the other's offense and, and force some turnovers. Now they are they are uh, beat up a little bit. I say they Rutgers is beat up, but particularly at the quarterback position uh, we're not sure who they're going to start there one of one of three uh, they've got a solid running back uh, they've got good receivers they're playing a lot of first-year guys though on the offensive side of the football uh, they're playing a lot of first-year guys first and second year guys defensively too but they've got uh, they've got key experience or they've got experience in key positions uh, but they've got a tremendous sophomore defensive tackle named Aaron Lewis uh, he had 11 tackles last weekend they've got a really good back end uh, defensive backs uh, with a number of seniors back there uh, they play that uh, 4-2-5 uh, Deion Jennings is a kid uh, 
who I remember uh, the last time Iowa was playing there, they had just recruited this youngster out of Sicklerville, New Jersey, a high school All-American, and he's now a senior. Yeah, so they've got good backers. They also have a great punter from Australia. So it might be it might be uh, the best of the punters. It might be a, <laughs> a special teams extraordinaire on Saturday. But, I mean, I like Iowa's chances. They've been a good road team, Dave, and I, and I like their chances a lot better now based on what I saw uh, offensively last Saturday. Now Rutgers, I mean, Nevada's not Rutgers, don't get me wrong. Uh, but but I, I like I like the Hawks' chances to get out of the gate. And if they get to 3-1, then uh, that Michigan game next week uh, – and Kinnick, uh, thankfully, it's an eleven o'clock kick, not at night, but eleven o'clock mm-hmm. kick uh, will be uh, will really be filled with electricity. Gary, always appreciate the time. Great catching up with you. Uh, safe travels to Piscataway this weekend, and uh, we will see you in just about a month. Uh, happy Halloween! Huh? Okay, <laughs> there Thanks, you Dave. go. Uh, Dan, good to see you. Good to hear from you. Take care, guys. Hey, thanks very much. That's Gary Dolphin, the outstanding voice of the Iowa Hawkeyes, along with uh, Ed Podolak. They've been doing the games for, I think I, I just saw they just had their 25th anniversary together, and uh, and uh, Iowa playing at Rutgers this week. Okay, so there's a little uh, glimpse of what they went through this week. Uh, the Big Ten schedule actually starts with a Thursday night game. It's a non-conference game for Illinois playing at home against Chattanooga. And then, Dan, you got some uh, some other conference games this week. This is the first big weekend of conference play. Uh, of course, the probably the highlight, uh, Wisconsin at Ohio State under the lights on Saturday night. Uh, Michigan hosting Maryland. Both those teams look good. And uh, Minnesota plays at Michigan State, which is coming off a tough loss last week at, at Washington as well as Iowa at Rutgers. Really curious to see that Wisconsin-Ohio State game. Uh, I know that uh, everybody obviously is going to uh, favor Ohio State in that one, but, uh, you know, which... Uh, what are we going to see from Wisconsin? They look better. Graham Mertz looks a little more comfortable at quarterback this year. So I think that's an interesting one to watch, a team that a lot of people still like in the Big Ten West going against a, a team that obviously is right off the pace beyond Georgia and Alabama in the polls. Yeah, I think the best thing about college football is just seeing the teams progress from week one to week two to week three and then into conference play because the teams just change so much. There's different guys um, from from previous years, and they need to grow up a little bit. And once they hit their strides, you know the teams that that end up winning at the end of the year get better each week. So, I think it's still early for for all teams, including Northwestern. And I think the Ohio State and and Wisconsin game will be a good barometer to see where you know, frankly, both teams are at. Um, so, it's definitely interested to see that and, and other games in the Big Ten. As um, obviously, Northwestern wasn't wasn't a great game to watch last week, but there there just wasn't a lot of exciting games anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. So getting into conference play makes makes all the football fans happy. And I actually think the Northwestern-Miami game is going to be a pretty good game this week. And it's certainly a, a big game as far as Northwestern's concerned, even though it's a, a non-conference game against a MAC team. All right, let's get to Super Joe's Prediction of the Week. Joe, what you got? Prediction. Super Joe's Predictions. All right, back on the winning track. You got it like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Thankfully, somebody did. Yeah, so last week we laid three points with Penn State on the road at Auburn, and they won quite handily. They, yes, they did. The they final look, score, 41-12. to 12. Yeah, they look really good. Yeah, they did look good. Uh, so this week I am 
Shifting my focus, as, as you guys are, to the uh, Big Ten Divisional play, um, I'm going to East Lansing, where the Spartans are hosting the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Now, one thing I was looking up is updated odds to win the division, uh, the Big Ten West Division. I couldn't find that, but I did see, as far as winning the conference as a whole, Minnesota was just b- behind Wisconsin to win, you know, as far as Western Divisional, um, you know, compatriots right mm-hmm. right <laughs> all right so uh minnesota has outscored its opponents 149 to 17 this year the problem they played new mexico state western illinois and colorado not really great competition uh, michigan state lost 39 to 28 last week in washington i don't think that score is really indicative of how the game was it was really out of hand for yes it was um Somehow, the Spartans are getting three points at home, and I'm going to take that home dog, and I'm going to ride it. I think uh, the coach is going to coach Tucker. That is is going to get them back on track in a quick way, and the uh, the Spartans are going to not need the three points, but I'll take them anyways. Minnesota is an interesting team, and and Dan, I don't know if you've had a chance to see them yet, but they have a, a guy who's been a quarterback forever for them, and Tanner Morgan, and they have uh, Mohamed Ibrahim is back, uh, running back, coming back from a, a season ending. A knee knee injury against Ohio State in their opener a year ago. He he looks good again. Uh, it's a veteran team. They did lose their top receiver this week, Chris Altman Bell. He's done for the year. But I I think Minnesota, a team which you, know, you don't hear that much about compared to Wisconsin and Iowa in the Big Ten West, this might be their best chance to uh, to make some noise in the division this year. Uh, but obviously this is a big game for them, one of their crossover games at Michigan State. Yeah, I agree. I, you, know, you took the words out of my mouth. It, it, this is their best chance to win the West. I think they're they're a sleeper team. They're, they're as experienced as anybody having Tanner Morgan there at, at quarterback is, is really helpful. They have a great offensive line and running game and a solid defense. I think I think they're frankly the dark horse, depending on where um, how Wisconsin plays throughout the year. I, I, I kind of see them as, as the favorites in the West. All right, so Super Joe's going with Sparty this week. That's right. All right. Well, uh, that's going to about wrap it up. Dan, I will see you, uh, I trust, Saturday night under the lights at, uh, at Ryan Field for the Miami Red Hawks. Absolutely. All right. Sounds good. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank Big thanks to uh, Louis Vacare from Wildcat Report for joining us. Thanks also to the voice of the Hawkeyes, Gary Dolphin, and Super Joe for his predictions. Uh, don't forget, join us Saturday. Uh, we'll have the call for you from Evanston, the Wildcats, and Miami. Our pregame starts at 6, and Ted Albrecht and I will have the kickoff starting at 6.30. Now for uh, Dan Persa. This is Dave Ennett. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you again next week on Collegiately Speaking.